Uh, good morning. Let's get. Let's begin. I'm going to ask um, Tom and Janie McManus to come up this morning. Also, Kara, if you'd come up. And Tom, if you'll stand beside me, and Janie, you'll stand beside Tom, and Kara, if you'll stand beside Janie. Psalms 105. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, call upon his name, and make known his doings among the peoples. Sing to him, sing praises to him, and meditate and talk of all his marvelous deeds. Devoutly praise them. Glory in his holy name. And let the hearts of those rejoice who seek and require the Lord as their indispensable necessity. Seek, inquire of and for the Lord and crave him and strength. Seek and require his face and his presence evermore. Earnestly remember the marvelous deeds that he has done, his miracles and wonders, the judgments and sentences which he pronounced upon his enemies as in Egypt. O you offspring of Abraham, his servant, you children of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God, his judgments are in all the earth. He is mindful of his covenant and forever it is imprinted on his heart. The word which he commanded and established to a thousand generations. The covenant which he made with Abraham and has sworn his promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute and to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying unto you, will I give the land of Canaan as your measured portion, your possession, and your inheritance. And when they were but a few men in number, in fact, they were very few, and were temporary residents and strangers in it, when they went from one nation to another, from one kingdom to another people, he allowed no man to do them wrong. In fact, he reproved kings for their sakes, saying, touch not my anointed and do my prophets no harm. And moreover, he called for a famine upon the land and he cut off every source of bread. But he sent a man before them, even Joseph. He was sold as a servant his feet they hurt with fetters. He was laid in chains of iron. But one day his soul entered into the iron. And the word tested him until it came true, until the word of the Lord tried and tested him. And then the king sent and loosed him even the ruler of the people, and let him go free. And so he made Joseph lord of his house and ruler of all of his substance to bind princes at his pleasure and to teach his elders wisdom. And Israel came forth into Egypt, and Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham. And there the Lord, the Lord greatly increased 
his people. And he made them stronger than all their oppressors. Maybe I should explain. And it's a long history, but, you know, we find out from the Holy Spirit that you're looking at a couple here that has been typified or with Joseph. And uh, last week when our family got back from Hilton Head, I went over to talk with Tom and we were just talking and about what the Lord's been doing and how amazing it is and uh, his insight. And I was listening to him and then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes all, all down on my head and I feel his love so strong. And he says, you give him this word because uh, I'm going to set him free into his mandate and his calling uh, now. This was last Saturday. And uh, go ahead and proclaim it to him. And I felt this love come over my, it just comes down over, you, you probably know when God's anointing washes down over you. I felt the tears burning hot in my eyes. Because I've come to know someone, a family so lovely so righteous and so good and this couple is one of the most phenomenal people I've ever known in the way that they distribute and it revealed the love of the father and God's love even greater than mine loves them so much and he wanted me to tell you that he is setting them free I, I looked at Tom and said, you've known yourself in one way for 67 years. His birthday was a few weeks ago in Janie. And I was like, I'm going to declare something over your life. The way that you perceive yourself and the way you've thought about yourself will be no more. You, your world will change for good. And I wanted to say it publicly. And I, and I wanted you to uh, maybe least uh, stretch forth your hands to bless them this morning as they they are being released into the ministry that uh, the Lord has placed on them and that great fruit and the great mandate I remember when I first met Tom last February and I came to him and we talked and I said you have to wait you have to wait and I didn't know him that well I was like you have to wait and he has so much to give and I was like Lord why don't you tell me to say that to him as a week ago, he says it's over with. It was upon Joseph's release, and it says it's that the whole family came in to bless him. It was, it was because of, of what he would do and how that he would be revealed in front of the whole entire family of Israel. that a great inheritance would be seen inside of the, in, the, in that whole entire nation. And the famine would end. And the whole family's gonna go to Goshen. And this is a sign of that day. And this is the sign of this family who had given themselves so faithfully to the Lord. 
Lord, we honor your work in this couple this morning, and we bless them. We bless the work of their hands. We bless them in this transformation time and who they are and the substance of who they are. We thank you, Lord, that you would give this man even a coat of many colors. I pray that you would promote him and Janie. hand would be strong on them and your word would prevail in their mouth I thank you God that they will be the ruler of your substance and the inheritance of the land I, I thank you Lord that you'll use them to bind princes and principalities of evil and that out of their ministry Lord before you that they they will teach the elders the wisdom of the kingdom of heaven. Let it be so, Lord, and let it be done. Can we say amen? Amen. his people and made them stronger than their oppressors. He turned the hearts of the Egyptians to hate his people to deal craftily with his servants and he sent Moses his servant and Aaron whom he had chosen. And I was sharing this with Pete Lineker this morning. When God set his order with Moses, he made a concession when he had to this was from Dr. Michael Heiser when he had to put a part of his priesthood on Aaron and a part of his kingship on Moses. But in this end time work, this end time work that awakens now at the promotion of the McManuses, at the promotion of Joseph in our midst, the Lord would take Moses' servant and Aaron and make them one. He would bring forth a Melchizedek order, an order where there would be no more... Uh, concession. There would be no more division between priest and king. And he will show forth his signs among them, wonders and miracles in this land. He sent darkness and made the land dark. And they, the Lord's servants, rebelled not against his word. He brought forth frogs in abundance, even in the chambers of their kings. He spoke, and there were swarms of beetles and flies and mosquitoes and lice and all their borders. And he gave them hell for rain and lightning and flaming fire in their land. He smote their vines also and their fig trees, and he broke the trees of their borders. He spoke, and the locusts came and the grasshoppers, and that without number. He ate up all the vegetation of their land, and he devoured the fruit of their ground. He smote the firstborn of the land, the beginning and chief substance of all their strength. And he brought forth Israel 
with silver and gold. And there was not one feeble person among their tribes. Egypt was glad when they departed. For the fear of them had fallen on the people. And the Lord spread a cloud for a covering and a fire to give them light in the night. And the Israelites asked, and he brought quail and satisfied them with the bread of heaven. And he opened the rock and water gushed out. And the rain in the dry places like a river. For even now, the Lord remembers, like right today, this being a now word applied to today, the Lord remembers his holy word and his promise to Abraham, his servant. And I've been seeing a lot of this, but it says, and he brought forth his people with joy. And I've been watching your eyes. I had someone ask me this last week, what is the condition of the congregation? And I said, I have seen more bright eyes than I've ever seen before. I see hope. I see holiness. And his chosen ones came with gladness and singing. And listen to this. He gave them the land of the nations. And they reap the fruit of other people's labor. Let me declare this to you. Let me declare what this word says to you today. This will happen to you. You will come forth in gladness and singing and with joy. You, you will see land transferred over and you will be blessed with transfer of properties and you will see that the fruit of others' labors will be turned over to you. And he did this all for one reason. Listen to the word of the Lord that they might observe his statute and they will keep his covenant Praise the Lord. When this transfer begins to happen in your life, remember why. Because you are to keep his covenant. And observe his statutes. Praise the Lord. Thank you. 
side of the world Light of the world Light of the world Light of the world Father of lights Light of the world
Anytime we have one of these events, we always never know what the Lord's going to say. So uh, I'm going to begin to unpack what I'm getting from the Holy Spirit. Uh, and it, it comes off of Psalms 105, where we were at earlier. Uh, uh, look with me at Zechariah 14, um, 12. This will be the nature of the plague which the Lord will strike all the nations that have fought against Jerusalem. In both cases, in Psalms 105 and Zechariah, here, um, the Lord is speaking of uh, a plague. He's speaking uh, in uh, terms of judgment. Over the last three weeks, I have been under extensive encounters with the Lord related to uh, what we've been unfolding with this double context or this context of God delivering promise to his people and in the middle of that promise with Abraham and Sarah remember that in the middle of that promise he's going to release his judgments against the Sodomic system and I, I'm like Lord promise and he's like yes and I'm going to deal with I'm going to deal with this stuff now and um, in the middle of giving promise of restoration to Israel and to my people I'm going to begin to execute righteousness in this land out of your worship out of you going up to Zion I'm going to deal with I'm going to deal with the pedophilia. I'm going to deal with it. He hates it. I mean, he hates all sexual immorality, I'll tell you that, but a cry's gone up before the Lord. The pain of the children, the innocent ones, the people are being 
You know, young, young people are being violated and mistreated. And I've been asking the Lord, bring your judgments on me. Bring your refining fire into my own soul. And he says, oh, I will. And I will purify me a people. And out of that purity of tabernacling with God and not to misuse or abuse anybody or see them for your own, what you can get out of it. You see, this can go really deep into our mechanism of our soul. When we look at another human being as a way or a path to our own personal desire of freedom, the Lord wants to end all of that in his people, especially in the wickedness that has been promoted in our land. He wants to put an end to it. What I'm saying about the deepness of the human heart, that sees someone else as a way that you can use them for your own benefit, you know, it gets corrupt. It just goes further and further into corruption. The Father would have us know that He's a gracious and good Father. Loves us as His children. He would wipe the greed. He would wipe the travesty out of our own hearts. I want to bring my fire, He'll say to me. I'm going to bring my fire to my people. And I'm going to glorify you. But in the midst of this glory, I'm going to deal. I'm going to deal with your nation. I'm going to deal with what has been the fruit of lawlessness and the law. And I'm going to bring my refining nature, what I purchased at Calvary, and reveal myself to you. And I've been saying, Lord, start with me. Maybe you've been saying that too, Lord. Deal with me. What my eyes see and what my ears hear and what in the privacy of my own life and the way that I look at others. Lord, deal down deep in my soul. It's not sacrifice or offering God desires. It's not double offerings that he takes delight in. He wants a body. He wants all of us. So I'm going to strike the nation with a plague. I thought we already had one, Lord. I'm going to bring an end to this. Their cries are going up before me. And it's breaking the very heart of the Lord. He's done with it. He's done with every aspect of sexual immorality, which will always lead to murder. He's done with an enlightenment and reasoning that always leads to sexual immorality that leads to murder. And he says to me this morning, come to the Feast of Tabernacles. It's time for the people of God to succumb with him. at times and like you've been in the diaspora yourself why because I would have you focus on me the eternal one over that which is external I 
want you to embrace tabernacles and let me tabernacle with your soul. I'm going to cause all flesh to decay while they stand on their feet. Their eyes will rot away in their sockets and their tongues will dissolve in their mouth. On that day there will be great confusion from the Lord among them and they will seize each other and attack each other violently. And moreover, Judah will fight at Jerusalem and the wealth of the surrounding nations will be gathered up, gold and silver and clothing in great abundance. This is the kind of plague I will devastate horses and mules and camels and donkeys and all the other animals in those camps. And those who survive from all the nations that came to attack Jerusalem will go up annually to worship the King, the Lord who rules over all, and to observe the feast, the Feast of Tabernacles. What you say, Carol, that's a future event. Let me tell you, there will be a first fruits company. There's a first fruits company now that already is preparing by the Lord for tabernacles now. And any type of grasping or trying to hold on to things, he's going to have it all and he will afflict. But I say, Lord, I say to him, I'd rather have affection than affliction. And I'd rather have your promise. And I'd rather have you. And you want this. You want him. Especially with what's about to be released in this land and in the nations of this world. You're our great promise, Lord. You're my promise, Lord.
anxious are you, Lord? Oh, 
comes from Timon, the sovereign one from Mount Paran. His splendor covers the skies, his glory fills the earth. He is bright as lightning. A two-pronged lightning bolt flashes from his hand. This is the outward display of his power. Plague goes before him. Pestilence marches right behind him. And he takes his battle position and shakes the earth. With a mere look, he frightens the nation. And the ancient mountains disintegrate. The primeval hills are flattened. And he travels on the ancient road I see the tents of cushion overwhelmed by trouble the tent curtains of the land of Midian are shaking is the Lord mad at the rivers are you angry with the rivers are you enraged at the sea is this why you climb into your horse-drawn chariots your victorious chariots Your bow is ready for action and you commission your arrows. You cause flash floods on the earth's surface. And when the mountains see you, they shake. The torrential downpour sweeps through. The great deep shouts out, it lifts its hands high. The sun and the moon stand still in their courses. Flashes of your arrows drives in the way the bright light of your lightning quick spear. You furiously stomp on the earth. You angrily trample down the nations. And you march out to deliver your people. And to deliver your special servant. You strike the leader of a wicked nation. 
laying him open from the lower body to the neck. You pierce the heads of the warriors with a spear. They storm poor discaterers. They shout with joy if they were plundering the poor with no opposition. But you trample on the sea with your horses, on the surging, raging waters. And I listen. And hey, if Habakkuk was feeling this, maybe we do too, but he says, my stomach churned. The sound made my lips quiver. My frame went limp. I feel my bones were decaying. And it shook me as I tried to walk. And he says this. I long for the day of distress to come upon the people who attack us. When the fig tree hasn't budded and there has been no grapes on the vines and when the olive trees have not produced and the fields have yielded no crops. When the sheep disappear from the pen and there are no cattle in the stalls. I will rejoice. I will rejoice. I will rejoice. Has he not, has he not taught you this? All the circumstances may look like, all they may look like everything's not coming off like you think it should. But he says, love this. There's some kind of violence that rises up in your heart, and I mean it like this, that I will rejoice. Your enemy would tell you, yeah, see how it doesn't all work out? He says, I will rejoice. Hey, the pomegranate's not budding, the fig tree's not blooming. I will rejoice. Oh, the strength in this, the Lord would draw us out like this. He would draw us to the edge. say and we would say <laughs> I will rejoice because of the Lord yes. not my circumstances you see it this gives so great honor to him yeah but I took everything from them yeah you take everything from them they'll curse you Job They'll curse, they'll curse, they'll curse you, Lord. Like Job, he'll curse you. Habakkuk says no. Job says no. I will rejoice. <laughs> Your frame's trying to tell you something different. I've felt it so many times. He doesn't care about you. He doesn't love you. He's not a good father. He'll never take care of you. He left you destitute. We'll see what they'll do. I will rejoice. My soul will magnify the Lord. And I will exalt your holy name. Do you see it? Hey, this is your opportunity. 
right now. Rejoice because of the Lord. That other thing's been trying to tie me down. It's been trying to keep me in a mode, but it will not be my mode. I will be happy because of the God. And I say this about you, Lord. You're my great strong tower hey partner with me say it to him you're my deliverer say it to him he loves when you say back to him who he is you're my deliverer and let your soul soar up into the heavens happy
chapter 20. Remember? Jehoshaphat. Remember Hezekiah? Remember Reb Shaka coming across, yelling out his taunts against the people of God? Remember Sennacherib in siege warfare with the Syrian 185,000 of them around the camp of the song of the Lord? Remember it? Remember in your Bibles when you read when the Hezekiah will put out his letters before the Lord and get down. Jehoshaphat has no other choice because Edom and Ammon and Moab are attacking. Moab means, who's your daddy? The father was Edom. I want, I want, I want my food over my birthright. Esau's lineage. Ammon, nationalistic pride, attacking the people of God. They began to sing the high praises of the Lord, just like we are. Hezekiah, one angel comes down, 185 Assyrians slaughtered. Jehoshaphat, Moab, Edom, Ammon, destroyed no more in this nation anymore no more we gotta stand our ground Jericho around the wall quiet quiet circle circle the wisdom of God the wisdom of God how could this work the wisdom of God and the people gave and said before the worship team and the children and they began to sing and praise the Lord and yeah aren't you tired of it aren't you tired of it in this land aren't you sick of watching it in the news hey right here right now us now well we can't answer for all the other saints in the land but we're here right now we're tired of the drug trafficking and the trading. We're tired of the what's going on in the, the political system. We're tired of all this. We're tired of it. But God gave us one way to deal with it. We sing the high praises. And we're getting there. I'd say we're 70% right now. But I don't want to back off. And let a united front of Israel rise with the promise of the Father in partnership with our King. He'll wreak havoc against our enemy and cause him to fly away off of our nation. And he'll rescue the perishing and build his family right now, right here, in this place. Sing the songs of Zion. The Lord, you're ripping out Sinai out of us, and we're justified by the law. 
We're the sons and daughters of Zion. Oh, yes, you are.
first started reading from so when Carol first started reading from Zechariah 14 I'm a little trembly um, Kelly had this verse the lightnings lit up the world the earth saw and trembled I feel very trembly sharing this but when Carol first started going to Zechariah 14 verse 12 now this will be the plague I was starting to look that up, but as I was on my way, the Lord outlined the verses before it, and it's what Sierra just sang. So I want to underline the song of the Lord and my daughter here, and the word of the Lord through Carol, Zechariah 14, 9. And the Lord... And the Lord will be king over all the earth. In that day, the Lord will be the only one. In that day, his name will be the only one. All the land, and I want to include Asheville on this, all the land will be changed. It will be like in a day. The Lord will come and he will strike the land and it will be like in a day the mountains will become like plains and the gospel will come forth. The gospel of the word of the Lord will reach hearts unlike we've ever seen. Destruction will come, but so will the life of God in the soul of man. Back in 2008, this ministry began. The word would come out and he says, I'm going to mobilize an intercessory front in every city. We'll mobilize a war machine. And um, today he tells me to agree with him in this mobilization with the inception of Joseph we now can have a mobilization you know we may not realize it but our life in God life in the soul of man like Jeff is pointing out is so important to the Lord sometimes you might think about your own personal thing and how does it matter but it matters why, do you know the Lord waited on Joseph? He waited on him. 
I would surmise there's many of us that he's been waiting on to, that a reality would come inside of us so that he could exhibit himself through us. We think, oh, I'm just going through my own little private thing. I, I guarantee you that is not the case with a son or daughter of the Lord. But how important and precious you are to the Lord. How special you are. And a delight to him even as an individual. Your place in God matters. Every single one of you. It matters so deeply to the Father. He would wait to move on a whole nation for one man. But he could get his life so much into him. Joseph, Abraham, the Lord himself. Noah, you, he would wait on you that such a deep work of his life would so manifest in you that he could transform the world around you. And upon this inception and mobilization, he said upon this inception is a mobilization. I will mobilize now. I'll mobilize the church. I remember I used to be in these, or the first church of Nazarene in the back baptismal area and the wind was blowing past me in the back of a building. I mean, you, you can't have wind inside the building unless it's air conditioned, but it wasn't, it wasn't on. I was back there and winds blowing past me. I said, what is that word? He said, I'm going to mobilize the angelic. And we'll partner with an intercessory company and we'll raise up intercessor company. And out of that intercession, I'm going to mobilize and release the prophetic unction like you have never heard or seen. And there's going to be angels and there's going to be the great mobilization. I'm so excited because we believe the Lord for this for a long time. We would need to become a united front. The church would have to become one. And there can only be one when he is the only king like Jeff was saying. There can't be any kind of competition with him. There can't be any kind of other gods with him. He has to be the one. And the Lord knows when he is. When he's everything to each one of us, he knows. And when he's everything to you, the Holy Spirit says to me, he said, I'm going to go to work. You'll see it. You're, you're going to watch it. You're going to observe it. And I ask you that you would pray for your brothers and sisters as they feel the call that will come. The call that is upon us in this nation and the nations of the world, a call call to holiness, a call to justice and righteousness, a call to him himself, and out of being one with him, a watch, a watch for the greatest display of the glory of God that this generation has ever bore witness to. And God's glory trumps the redemption of man. When he becomes everything to the human heart, he'll give everything of himself. When he becomes all, he'll give all. And this happening to us, he's been doing it all along. He's been leading us. 
to the flesh. So good morning, afternoon. 
may need a little bit of help on this detail um this week on thursday um tom can you can, do you want to help me with this about this week on thursday um why don't you just help me on this i'm a little bit out of mind i'm gonna find it here for a minute um Will you will you make the announcement on this? Okay, thank you. Not very good with announcements. <laughs> um, uh, I want um, uh, what's happened. Uh, actually, it, it happened last week, and uh, and this sort of uh, to give you a little outline of what's happening. Um, uh, about uh, a little over 15 years ago, I experienced outer darkness, and uh, it was a most frightful thing, and I felt like the Lord was uh, really shaking me to the core of my being and saying that if I continued in the way that I was going, that's where I was going to end up. And um, I certainly repented after that and felt the release of the Lord, and it became uh, a... Uh, uh, an extended period of time where I was asking, Lord, what do you mean by this? What is outer darkness? What are you doing? What are you saying? How, I, it was totally foreign to my um, theology and doctrine. And, um, and through that uh, came uh, over the years uh, this... Uh, <laughs> this understanding of the kingdom of heaven. And um, Jesus says it's been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. And, uh, and then he begins, uh, further on in the chapter, he says, uh, the kingdom of heaven is like, and speaks a parable. So the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven are in the parables. And over the years, um, I, in a uh, little RV in the middle of nowhere with uh, my wonderful wife, uh, uh, the Lord, over this extended period of time, w unfolded the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, in part, obviously, of not knowing everything, and giving understanding of the, the parables and how these pieces come together. Uh, and... Uh, and um, began putting these things down, totally uh, a process of deconstructing what I believed in and reconstructing what the Word of God was actually saying and trying to put these pieces together. And uh, to a certain extent, and uh, I was talking to Austin actually, and just realized that there's this element of, of, uh, of Joseph being imparted with uh, you know, an understanding of dreams, an understanding of what the parables really mean, that we don't really get it. They're talking about uh, uh, the resurrection and the judgment seat of Christ and what is going to happen during these times. And um, it's quite intriguing uh, how they all fit together and completely foreign to our main sort of Calvinistic and doc 
and Arminian doctrines. And as a matter of fact, the understanding of what the kingdom of heaven is will actually um, shatter the, these doctrines of men. In fact, um, the doctrines of men have prevented us from seeing. Remember what Jesus said for, you know, when he spoke to the parables, why do you speak parables? He says that they have eyes that do not see and ears that do not hear. If they did, they'd come to me and I would heal them, meaning I would repent and, and be restored. And uh, so this, this is a wonderful uh, sort of uh, thing that I've been, uh, uh, that the Lord has unfolded me in sort of like <laughs> in the wilderness. And uh, there's many, many times I'm like, as I, I would be uh, saying, God, what, what does that mean? What does this mean? And I'd, I'd receive these, these jewels from heaven and that would give me understanding. And uh, <laughs> sort of hold these and try to put them together and uh, and write a book and uh, concerning this and sort of uh, me writing a book is like a, a guy building a house with a nail gun without a nail gun just banging in each nail by hand you know sort of boom 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 but even through that process there would be understanding and a honing and a refining so there's an element where I've been holding these precious truths of the Lord and actually understanding that this is the gospel of the kingdom. And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world and then he'll come. Yes. This is a, a tremendously uh, powerful time. Um, you know, I, uh, you'd, I'd share my burden with Carol, like, I got to get this thing out. I, I don't know what to, you know, I have to, you know, and I'd give out books and, you know, to tons of people who have been in the Lord for a time and sort of nothing, you know, whatever. And I was like, what, what am I doing? This is like something precious. <laughs> you know, maybe I should go to, you know, more, you know, take Facebook ads out. You know, did uh, John the Baptist do that? I don't think so. But anyway. <laughs> Um, and you know, I'm you know I'm in consternation. I ha this is important. This is it, it's an impartation to the body of Christ to be ready in this hour. In this hour, there is a prophetic word that has always been within the body of believers: Old Testament, New Testament. And the prophetic word has always been to appeal to the people of God, not actually unbelievers. So the gospel of the kingdom is actually for believers. The gospel of grace is for unbelievers. But because Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom to the Jews, he didn't go outside. He preached them. There would be signs and wonders. And in fact, when this gospel be preached, there will be signs, wonders, deliverances, and we'll see a mighty outpouring as it was in the days of old. There has always been a prophetic word, and the, pre the prophetic word has always been God's heart. Listen, repent, or you're going to suffer calamity. You're going to suffer judgment. 
and people can even respond to the prophetic word and repent and say, okay, we're going to cast out our idols, we're going to take care of the poor, we're going to not be selfish, blah, 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 whatever, and, 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 and receive the blessing of the Lord, prosper, and, and, and be protected, be, live in peace, live in, uh, with great victory. Um, but most of the time, the prophetic word has been rejected by the people of God so that the prophets are in fact killed, put in prison because it doesn't fit into our theology, our doctrine. I would suggest to you that you don't have to worry about going to the lake of fire. That God is so faithful that even if you're not faithful, you will receive eternal life. We talked about early, actually the, uh, the Romans 8, uh, 17. Actually, let me get uh, This was uh, the inflection point, as the Lineker uh, was talking about, that would happen last week. Okay. Might be helpful to get in the right book. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ if, big if here, we're joint heirs with Christ if we suffer with him that we may also be glorified together. If we don't suffer, we will miss the inheritance that could be ours and we will not be glorified together. There's an inheritance that's conditional. There's an inheritance of the Father and as a child, we come to Christ and we believe and we become born again and the Spirit of God comes into us. We have eternal life because he who is eternal is in us. We cannot die. We can rest assured in that. That's the work of God. God is faithful even when we're not. That's an inheritance that cannot be lost. But there's an inheritance and several inheritances that can be lost. And certainly if we're not prepared, we'll lose those inheritances. So this is the prophetic word. And I, uh, we can lose an inheritance of being the bride of Christ. 10 virgins, which are symbolic of believers, the purity, the righteousness that believers have by believing. That's symbolic of being a virgin. There's 10. Uh, the trumpet is sound uh, when the bridegroom comes they awaken talking about the resurrection they're asleep 
talks about the resurrection. We could go more in this. There is a, uh, those five who have oil go into the wedding feast. Those who five who do not have oil don't go into the wedding feast. If we love the world more than Christ, this, the word of God says, if you love your mother or father or sons or daughters more than him, you're not worthy of the, of the kingdom of heaven. There is this, this, if we want to, if we want to, this is our inheritance. It's ours if we want it. If we love the world more than the, uh, than Christ himself. We will lose that inheritance. Why? We'll be an adulterer. We'll be an adulterer, an idolater. And we're slandering God. So it's ours. So it, out, should we prepare? Can we get oil? Yes. Is that difficult? Really, it's not. It says, Lord, I really don't love you that much. I love, I think, my iPhone more than you. and um, Or I love this more than you. I have a passion for this more than you. Forgive me a heart of love in me I want to love you like the deer pants after the water and and lay hold of that why because it's a promise it's an inheritance that is yours but it's ours to lose is it a... so there's two inheritances and there's two ages to come the millennial reign and what happens after the millennial reign the new heaven and the new earth after the millennial reign we can go over this the thousand year reign of Christ each one of those time periods at the end of this age will be the judgment seat of Christ that determines who will go in to the kingdom of heaven which is the fullness of the kingdom of heaven when the kingdom of heaven is actually on the earth where Jesus is ruling and reigning on the earth it's the fulfillment of the kingdom of heaven can we experience the kingdom of heaven now? Yes, we can. When Christ comes, when he, He's manifest presence comes, we can, we we uh, that it would be on earth as it is in heaven. We can experience that right now. But there is a uh, the fullness, the absolute fullness, is during the thousand year reign. At the judgment seat of Christ, we'll. There will be a time where we will either enter into that kingdom of heaven or miss the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 7, on that day, many will call me Lord, Lord, will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 7. They will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. They will not enter into that age. It doesn't mean that they're not going to the lake of fire. They're not entering into that age. And the parables will show these uh, these things. And they will miss it. And they will go, go to a place called hell or Gehenna. Or outer darkness or jail for a time. At the end of the thousand year reign, those carnal believers will be resurrected before the great white throne. Their name will be in the book of life. And they will inherit eternal life. But they will miss an inheritance that could have been theirs. They're not participating in the kingdom of heaven in the thousand year reign. We have an inheritance to rule and reign with Christ on the earth for a thousand years. That's ours to lose. At the judgment seat of Christ, the Lord is going to be judging by his standards on terms of whether we get in or not. And there's tremendous 
revelation that is coming in terms of what he says. He's the one that says, he says, listen, I'm doing, the, you know, Matthew 5, he says, listen, you have heard it said, do not kill, Old Testament, Old Covenant. But I say to you, if you call, and I'm paraphrasing here, if I, you call your brother a fool, you are subject to hell fire. For the one, he says, if you, uh, you have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you lust after a woman in your heart, you've you, I'll consider you an adulterer. Therefore, it is better for you to gouge out your eye of lust, cut off your hand which strikes, and go into he heaven maimed than to, to go into hellfire, Gehenna. These are mysteries, but this is what God, Jesus, is saying. This is the standard. Now, can we do that? Yes. Lord, forgive me for having a lustful heart. Lord, forgive me for uh, judging someone. Forgive, uh, Lord, I forgive this person. The import, the judgments on forgiveness, all this kind of stuff. Anyway, I'm rambling here. but uh, So there's an impartation of what this word is. Uh, I have a, a book over there that you can take that reflects some of the interpretation of the parables that will disrupt your theology as much as it disrupts mine. Uh, so understand that. Not, and you can't believe what I've just said just by listening to me. You have to dig into the Word of God and, and uh, look afresh at what the gospel is saying. But when we do, we'll be ready for the coming of the Lord. And why? Because we'll be repenting. We'll understand uh, whether we have a clean heart, a clear conscience. And this is the power of what God is doing in this age. And, uh, and this is the impartation of what's... And when is your study? The yeah, the study is, is going to... Joe uh, is uh, is setting that up. It's going to be at six o'clock on Thursday, uh, and um, and can we get it uh, put it on the site or something sure. on the website sure. and with the address and uh, there's you're always uh, listen. This is this is my heart. This is my passion. This is my you know. This is what God has put in me. This is going to affect us. And it's going to impart great power to the body of Christ. And uh, so uh, um, you can call me. You can read it saying, and say, what the heck do you mean by this? And, uh, and tell me to explain it. And, uh, and to a certain extent, you should, you know, have that kind of response. Because this, this is revelation, new stuff. Anyway. All right. Thank you. Too. All right. That is going to be on Thursday at 6 o'clock. It'll be in the... Is it going to be over at your place? You don't know yet? Okay. All right. It'll be determined. The location will be determined. The time and day has been determined, but the location is yet to be determined. This this um, this coming Thursday. Uh -huh. So it'll be easy if you read just the first four chapters, and uh, which is a basic overview, and we'll be discussing that, and you can catch up later. Yeah, so he has he has a box of books over here. If you want to uh, grab a book at the end of uh, our time t uh, today and talk with Tom, 
<clears throat> Revelation chapter 21, verse 5, brought this out a few weeks ago as uh, Jesus is from, seated from the throne, his prothesis. He's making a thesis statement. If we were ever going to hear a, a, the, a thesis statement, now how many of you have written thesis statements for your papers, right? And you know how important it is that you understand the question and the answer in, in, as you unfold your uh, body of your paragraph and you bring it out. And so in this way, we're looking at the one who now has ascended to the throne. He's, he's sat down in Revelation 21, 5, and he's got something he wants to say. He says, and the one seated on the throne said, hey, look, I'm making all things new. I hope this has been impacting your life. I hope that you're going through and you're running your life through a narrative. You're checking against, is my modus operandi new? Or am I hanging on to the past? Am I hanging on, even so fittingly for some of us, our, our nostalgia? Am I letting my definition of who I am, my family is, or what I'm doing, if I let that define me, or is my mode now that everything must become new? The relationships must, new relationships are meant to be born. A new uh, provision or, or is meant to uh, come forth. Health is supposed to be uh, restored or be vibrant. I, and if there's this, this unacceptance that you need to have like a, I'm putting my foot down here. I am not going to stand for anything other than the new. If Jesus said, I'm making, poieto uh, in, the, in the Greek, I'm making all things, not just some things, but everything I'm claiming that it's new in your life and it must have a vibrancy. When things are new, I don't know about you, but I like new things. I, when the word started to say, get rid of those other things, I started to realize new's not so bad. I'll give you an example. One day, Kara and I, we go into the uh, Ingalls over here, and uh, we, we needed to get some flowers for something. I'm not sure what it was. And um, we had, like, a limited amount of resources that we could purchase those flowers with. And she, she looked over there, and she saw these flowers, and they were about $3 or so. And she said, well, th those will do. And, uh, you know, they were nicer. They weren't terrible flowers. They were $3 flowers, though. And I was sitting there thinking, well, if you put three of those $3 flowers together, you'll get a set of non-dollar flowers. And I think we had $10. And I went, yeah, we can make a little bouquet. But then I looked at her and I said, what about those? They're already, it's already a built bouquet of flowers and it was like $7.50, you know, and I'm doing the math. Like it's gonna cost me $1.50 more. And she said, those things are cheap. They have like a, they're sort of showy. I immediately took personal offense to it. <laughs> like she was talking about me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I'm saying, well, you're always choosing the cheap thing. Well, we don't have a limited budget or we don't even have a, bu a budget. <laughs> we just have what we have. Carol, we gotta make do. And I was like, no. When I said to her, I said, well, what, if, if, if money wasn't an object, something that 
what would you pick? She said, well, I would go down to uh, our sister-in-law Abigail's and have her cut us some fresh flowers right out of her farm. Well, then we'll have to spend $25 in gas just to get over there. But the Lord said, do you hear? You see, there was a blue-based option, a left-based option. We'll take the cheap flower and mix it with some other ones. <clears throat> I tell you, I think sometimes the blue pays more for things than the red. <laughs> you know, because they'll re rip you off at convenience stores and things. Or they'll rip you off in your billing cycle because they'll charge you more when you have to come and do the thing where you had to walk further to get it. I don't know. If, I think y'all know what I'm saying. Because the convenience is really lost and then the other person can get access to it faster because they have privilege of some kind. And we see, and the Lord said, do you see the royal way? I want fresh cut flowers. They're brand new. Beautiful, by the way. Abigail, on her farm in Black Mountain called Bloom, produces some of the most beautiful flowers I've ever seen. She even has little uh, meshes around certain flowers. Like, you know, it has a veil over it. <laughs> what kind of flower is that? It's so amazing that I've had to put a veil over it. I mean, they're amazing. And Kara picked those out. And I said, Lord, let our heart be guided by royalty, by the purple. Do you see? I don't want a blue-based option. I don't want a red-based option. That red, outward pretentious, outward cup the thing that doesn't have any real substance inside of it. I don't want that cheap thing. I mean, if you were to really admit to yourself and be honest with yourself, you didn't and weren't made for either one of those yourself. You were made the royal sons and daughters. And I'm not going to have anything other than purple. Uh, we'll mix the blue and red together. Make something new. And he says this from the throne, I am saying to you, then I'm saying, I'm making all things new. And so I have to say, well, I don't want to go to the left or to the right, but I want a wisdom that guides my heart into the new. And I'm not going to accept anything else. Now I'm going to have a staunch determination that I will not accept anything other than a victory. <laughs> And him. I'm just not going to anymore. And he says, I want this thing written down. And now you heard me preach this, that it was like a treasure map. And Paul was un finding it out in prison. Sometimes the only way that God can deliver to you something new is he must hem you in on every side because you wouldn't believe it unless he did. And then we get confused and think the hemming in on every side was putting us back into the old. But do not mistake God's discipline that God is always, if he hems you in, bringing you into the new. Amen. You need to know that because we mistranslated our affliction when all the Lord wanted was affection. He wanted us to believe that I would, you were trying to uh, mar down there like Lot and look in one direction when I was making you omnidirectional. You wanted just that one piece of real estate when I was trying to give you way more than that. I don't want you to do that anymore. I have something for you that is so beyond what you can even... <clears throat> what? You don't even know how to ask for it. And you don't even know how to think about it. 
but I can give you a mode. I'm declaring and making all things new. And I love this prothesis. And some things got to burn. And if they can burn, let them. And if you can't throw them on the trash heap, throw it in the trash. Get rid of anything in your life that is not declaring a brand new day. I'm saying in the mornings when you wake up, because the Bible says his mercies are what? Man, that just came from him. And mercy triumphs over? Man, you guys know your Bible. And then he says, I said, I said, write it down, make it plain. It's done. I like the resolve of God. I have to tell my kids sometimes, hey, that is what it is. I'm not changing my mind. You know, the word, but that you're not, you hurt my feelings. You don't make me feel good right now. I said, no, that's the way it is. Uh, because why? Because the Lord wants the best. When he says it's finished uh, to tell us die at the cross, I'm giving you the best news you could ever have. Here it is. And, well, I don't like coming up against the stops. I, I sort of want to do it my own way. No, it's done. You hear that? I'm not going to pander to your thing. Because you're trying to keep putting yourself and box yourself into something and I can't agree with you. What good father would? What good father would sit there and agree with you on something old? It is called the new covenant, by the way. It's done. I'm the Alpha and Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. To the one who's thirsty, I'll give you water. I think of water like liquid assets. You know what a fixed asset is and a liquid asset? Some of you know what I mean, like it's an economics term. When he says, I'll give you water, he's saying, I'll give you liquid assets. Hey, look, I'll take care of your health, I'll take care of your finance, and I'll take care of your relationship. I'll pour grace out on you. You get into a posture where you believe this way, and I guarantee you, not because of me, not because I, but he, the I am is making all things new. He didn't say you're supposed to. He says I am. Do you see it? Oh, I love this about the gospel. The gospel of the kingdom of heaven. Because you're not going to earn your way into this. And you're not going to unearn your way into this message. There's not enough you could do or enough that you haven't done. That's going to change the will of God. I am operating through you. And I'll tell you one of the best things you'll ever do is rest in the sovereign goodness of your father. Yeah. Jesus says, my father's always working. Oh. He's always poieto making. He always is. It's sort of like, and I think you'll find this testimony You'll get more done out of rest than you would have ever got done by your earning. You will. Because he will through you. I bet you Jesus was getting so much stuff done. Actually, it says he was getting so much done that all the books in the world could contain his work. Think about that for a minute. You know, because we're into energy and productivity, especially in this nation, we want to produce. We want to apply energy into the right place. 
you know, energy and work, and there's a physics law related to that. And the Lord says, labor therefore to enter into my rest, and out of rest you are blessed. And then God wills and goes through your life and starts to activate through you, through I believe in the new, I'm just going to stand my ground in it. And the Lord will go to work. And he did through Jesus. And the divine ophthalmologist says, put mud in that guy's eye. Well, it literally doesn't make any sense. Because <laughs> you, you can't figure him out. And I think that that is probably one of the greatest travesties of our humanity is trying to figure God out. That was what happened right there in the fall. I was telling Janie this week, I said, I'm trying to wrap my head around this thing. And she just laughed and cackled at me. Carol, you know, you know better than that. Something she, I paraphrased, but that smile, I knew what she was saying to me by that sweet smile of hers. Well, you can keep on trying that, young man, but that will not work. And I couldn't agree with her more. Listen to what he goes on to say. The one who conquers will inherit these things. The one who conquers will inherit. No, I, I thought God was going to do it all for me. Well, I believe my task today is to unpack this is because the one who conquers, and, and I will be his God and he'll be my son. And he goes on to say cowards, unbelievers, detestable persons, murderers, sexual immoral, and those who practice magic spells, idol worship, all those who lie. Their place will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. That is the second death. Tom will help to unpack that with you in his, his study. The Lord, he's been waking me up, and he's like, I want you to delineate the problem, and then I want you to tell them how this works. And I said, okay, you're going to put the challenge on this preacher. I hope that Lord help me that I can delineate the problem. There's been a theological doctrine of men. Tom began to bring this up. Called Arminianism. And hey, don't worry, I'm going to deal with Calvinism as well. In the Arminian thought, and I can't say every aspect of Arminian thought, but there's one pervasive underlying concept that he wanted me to point out to you was that it deals in retribution. It deals in punishment, and it deals in an improper fear of God. It says, in its basis of its doctrine, that by earning or unearning, if I do something wrong, I'm going to be held like suspended above the lake of fire to be thrown or cast into it at any moment, at any time, on any action or thought, sins of commission or omission, and my life is in jeopardy for any action like this way. And I want, the Lord wants me to deal with the basis of that understanding. The basis of that understanding is this. That I somehow earned my right into my salvation. That something that I did within myself merited me salvation. I want to vehemently attack that notion. Your justification was not because of 
your action or lack thereof. For the good Dr. Paul lets us know this. That he did not justify Jacob because he was a better man than Esau. God elected or predestined him because of his own will. He justified him because he wanted to. You know, the Bible says that God sits in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. When God saved you, it wasn't because you pleaded with him. It wasn't because you begged him to save you. He saved you because he wanted to. It wasn't because you had something morally right in you that saved you. Actually, and I believe this, you are totally depraved and incapable of having any action towards the Lord unless he himself moved on you to save your soul. You know why I believe that? Because God started everything. There's someone argued with me years ago about this, and because I, I argue with people about it too. Well, there was something good in me that wanted God. No, there wasn't. There was nothing good in you that wanted God. If God wouldn't have moved on you, and I think if you'll go back to your salvation experience, you'll know that like out of nowhere, by his own mercy and love, he came to you. And you feel this impression or something. Yes, you became aware of your sin. Oh, you'll become aware of your sin when God begins to come near you. And he comes near you, and in that moment, his most beautiful love and grace moves on you, and you're, you're compelled to repent. You feel, you feel so, I need you. And something inside of you moves towards him. Let me say, God is always the first mover. And if God moved towards you to save you and elect you, he's not going to damn you. You need to know this. Because see, what happened as a result of this Arminianism is I begin or others begin to believe that it is because of what I do or don't do that God saved me and I begin to go back to Sinai. And I believe it is by my own effort that I was saved or am being saved. And that is essentially pride to the Lord. And then this essential pride to the Lord, he resists you. Because he gives grace to what? The humble. I did not save myself. I didn't move upon myself. I remember when he saved me. I was bent on doing evil. I was bent. I was going to do what I wanted to do, and nobody's going to stop me. I'm raising a preacher's home. I'm going to do what I want to do. Well, no, I'm hiding it. Oh, I think Daddy, Mama doesn't know things I was doing. I was out to hide it. But when the Lord came to me, I was shook. It's like I don't know this God for whom they are speaking of. I had no knowledge of him. I'd been in a church my whole life. This was up to 17 years of age. I have no knowledge of him. All I knew that... Sometimes I was white-knuckled. <laughs> Y'all know what I mean? On the back of the pew while you're hearing the preaching of the gospel. You know, I felt that. I ain't gonna give in. 
Listen, let me make it clear. It is not by your own act or will, your own running, your own desire that you were saved. It was because he freely elected to save you. It was by his own sovereign grace that he saved you. And it is so important that you hear that. Because if you don't, you'll always go around and you'll treat others this way. Like, well, if you just get your act together. Well, if I could just get my act together. Do you know what you're doing when you say that? You're speaking in pride. And that is the fruit of that side of thing because it's built out of retribution. Well, Carol, deal with the other side. Okay. See, uh, on one side, it's the inheritance, on the Armenian side, it's the inheritance that can be lost. On the Calvinistic side, it's I deserve everything. It's the inheritance that I deserve. Now, you heard Tom say this, you hear me say this out of Romans 8, 17. That there's an inheritance that comes with God and then there's an or of God and there's an inheritance with Christ well on the reform side or the Calvinistic side those guys I've hung out with a bunch of them I went to seminary with them I've been around a lot of them uh, we ended up calling those guys the frozen chosen they called our seminary cemetery sometimes I thank God for Gordon Conway I went to a seminary where there was still a flame of fire burning in there I met some of them like Reed Satterfield and I hope he hears this one day. He had his shoulder shot through with a, a bullet on mission. I watched that man in pain, in severe pain, lead us into contemplative prayer and worship of the true God. I found there was still a flame burning hot in seminary. When Dr. Robert Coleman, who was over the Luzanne Conference for World Evangelization, was my professor on a of my evangelistic class when that white haired man got down on his knees in front of all of us and read Revelation with tears pouring out of his eyes and I knew that man was a flame so but then there was this undercurrent I remember he got down and this other guy who's preparing for the pastor mocked him and I said, how dare you mock that man? You know nothing of the Lord. You cannot know him and not be strangely warmed to hear that man while he weeps in front of us in humility who stood outside of Harvard and proclaimed the gospel at the gates of Harvard University who lived in with the Gordon Conwell students with his wife in their 70s or 80s lived with them so that he could just share Christ to the new students. And I knew that in all the seminaries, there, there was still a flame. Because I met some of them who burned hot for Jesus. And I knew that academics could burn hot. And because I don't want to come against a whole reform camp. Because I love, I've, I've, a lot of, I've loved reform doctrine when it was taught to me. And I saw the beauty of it. But then I saw this one corrupt thing sitting in the right. An arrogance. An arrogance that even I had. An arrogance of precision. An arrogance of perfectionism. An arrogance that you have to get everything correct. An arrogance of, and this was so weird, you wouldn't think the right would be so entitled, but they are. I thought the left was the only entitlement. 
No, we deserve everything, and Christ's merits are all mine now. I got into a conflict with another pastor here local on this very thing. Lost my friendship with him. Because he says everything that Christ has paid for is mine now, and there's no caveat to it at all. I apparently did not read Romans 8, 17. I deserve it all. Sort of a haughtiness, right? No, no talk of suffering with Christ. None, none of that. It's all mine. And sit in the Ivy League tower with all these different idiosyncrasies of theology that nobody even hardly knows what they're talking about, scratching our heads on everything. I was taken into the midst of it all. I mean, nor do you speak complex thoughts to me, like superlapsarianism. <laughs> I just call it what my dad did, once a man, twice a child. <laughs> it's the father's predilection that you know your double predestination. That you would so deeply know that you're loved by him. But the love of flame, the flame of love wasn't necessarily burning hot there in everybody. Because there's an arrogance related to intellectualism and, and the academy. So many people had got off. What was the problem? Well, I deserve my reward. Well, the other side saying, well, it's retribution. Well, if I don't do this right, it's going to throw me in the lake of fire. On the other side, on the, on the Calvinistic side, I deserve the whole thing, all, all of it, all kit and caboodle. It's mine. I'm going to go around and look down on everybody else that doesn't have privilege. It's infiltrated. And the left, you know, they're fussing with the right because of it. And the right's like, well, if y'all would work harder, you could have what we have. Yeah. You know. It's not, see, judgment must come to the house of God first. This thing that's going on in our nation is just the net result of what's happening inside the very house of the Lord. And we need fire. We need... We need fire. I put up a Facebook post this week. It got argued with because I was over at Dick's Sporting Good, and I look up, and there's Dwayne Johnson, called also known as The Rock. He shouldn't have took that title like that, saying there's only one rock. Anyways, that's higher than us. But nevertheless, and it says on his shirt, earn greatness. And the Lord said, what do you think about that? And I said, I don't think much of it. He said, why? And I said, well, it's right there. And um, where is it at? And I had to go look it up. Psalms 18.35. Now let's dig into something here this morning. Because, and I could go into deeper depths, but if we're going to unpack the kingdom of heaven, we're going to unpack inheritance. The Lord said, don't just tell them what's wrong. Tell them how to live. Because if we're going to go ahead and begin to believe that it's not by your lack of earning or your earning. You know, the people will say to the Lord, he's on the scene, they said, show us what works we must do. And you know what the Lord says to him? I'll, I'll tell you what work is. I'll give you the definition. Believe on the one whom he has sent. You want to, that's the definition of work. And so we know we're not going to earn this righteousness. If, and if you guys... 
you, the people of God, can go ahead and agree with this. If you can go ahead and say, I can't buy, I can't buy my own earning or lack thereof, then I'm going to earn anything. I'm going to tell you, if you'll go ahead and let that be alleviated in your own soul, you're going to come into a place of real rest. And when you do, and when you find this place that's solid in you, you're believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is going to say something about this. He says, repent and believe the gospel. Now, what I've basically described to you is what the gospel is not. Well, let me tell you what the gospel is. Because he says, repent and believe the gospel. The kingdom of heaven is at what? Man. Well, then how does this work? Well, let's look at it. Um, Psalms 18.35. In the juxtaposition of earning greatness. I particularly uh, looked at this in the Amplified Classic. So if you're electronic, you can look at this with me and this. And then if you're not, just listen. But David is describing being girded earlier on in 32. He girds me with strength. Makes He's making my way perfect. He's, he's making my feet like hind's feet. He's setting me securely on the high places. He's teaching my hands to war so that my arms can bend the bow of bronze. And then we get into this 35. And he says this. You've also, you've given me this shield of your salvation. Whose salvation is it? Yes. I heard a lot of people say mine. I even said mine years ago until I was soundly corrected by somebody who was a good Berean, by the way. They were correcting my earning righteousness. Well, I was trying to take I was trying to take my own salvation. <laughs> he said, that's not what the text says, Carol. It's not my salvation, it's yours. Harken back to Revelation 21.5. I am, right, making. I'm making. I am. Oh, it's not your salvation, it's mine. Uh, I'm the author of salvation. I know how to get you from point A to point B. It's mine. I'm the one who designed the course of salvation for you. No one else can design it for you. I decided it. And your right hand has held me up. Uh, in Romans 8, 17, and I, I expressed this last week, but he says this. Paul, in describing in Romans 8, 17, the difference of an inheritance that comes from God as a child and the inheritance that comes with Christ through suffering that leads to glory, Paul uses a Greek term that says, on the other hand. So on one hand, and I'm going to suggest to you that it's the left hand, actually your left hand, and God's left hand that an inheritance comes from God. Uh, I shared with you last week that that inheritance Imagine your safety deposit box is as big as this pavilion. He wants you to draw on his in inheritance. Uh, Christ's inheritance, but that's on your right hand. You probably heard this before. And maybe we got this a little bit off. Don't let the right hand what? Think on that. And in the right hand, it'll, David will say this uh, in Psalms, I think, 
17 or 16 says, And at his right hand or what? And where is Jesus seated at? So at the right hand of the Father, and if pleasure and inheritance is at the right hand, and he says this here, and your right hand has, has held me up. In the Song of Solomon, the bride will say, and his left hand was behind my head. If you take notes, maybe take notes on this. The left hand deals with prophetic revelation. But she'll say something else. She'll say, and maybe his right hand will hold me. Uh, we know that in the tribe of Benjamin, that Benjamin, Jacob, will say, no, his name will not be called Benon, his name will be called Benjamin. He is son of what? My right hand. Uh, Benjamin was the only son born in the land of promise. All the other sons weren't born there. They were born in the wilderness. Saying it in right hand, is this great affection, this, uh, this love, a place of real pleasure and beauty and delight. I think a lot of the church has got the left hand pretty good. They get a good understanding maybe. maybe We've heard a lot of false prophetic. We've heard a lot of false revelation. And so we've sifted through that. But some of the leadership of the church is actually prophesying. They're, they are giving the word of the Lord. But it comes from the left hand, which is on the back of the head where the vision works. Well, they're declaring vision. How do I explain this? Because in the left hand and the prophetic revelation of something, and maybe you can understand this with children, or, and Tom and I was talking about this, and have had to be schooled in it. Many of us parents have been able to see the outcome of our children's actions before uh, they do them. Anybody know what I'm saying? And so we say, some of us with force, do not do that. Because if you do, it will lead you da 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 da. And you, well, how do you know? Because <laughs> I did it. <laughs> why? Why is that? You know why? Because you can see ahead. Harken back to Abraham and Lot last week in last week's sermon. God comes down. He hangs out with Abram. He says, I'm going over there to, I'm going to go over there. I'm going to deal with Sodom. And Abram said, you're going to kill the godly and the ungodly? See, God already knew what he was going to do before he had a dialogue with Abraham. He already knew there weren't, and he's going to go 50, 45, 40, 35, 30, right? 25, 20, uh, 10, Lord? Uh, the Lord's like, he doesn't even know. There's nobody there that righteous. A lot, and his wife, his wife's going to turn to a pillar of salt. What's happening there? God already knows what he's going to do. He already knows what his hand's going to execute on and yet he wants to have this dialogue with Abram. Why? Well, I already know what I'm going to do. Why would I um, deviate around a point to get to the point I already know I'm going to? Listen, hear me out, because what you're going to see here, because he told me to exercise this wisdom and give you this wisdom, is the path to greatness. Because the fastest way to a point is a what? A straight line. 
if you want to get to a point, it's a straight line. I live my life like this. I could see ahead. And I knew that if I went to that point, I would get the outcome. Uh, my Susanna is really good at this. When she was young, instead of asking anybody to pass the salt, she would just cross the whole table and grab the salt. <laughs> I remember that so well. And I was like, no, you can't do that. All you need to do is ask your sibling, pass you the salt. Because her whole little body's across the whole table grabbing the salt. David says something here interesting. He said, the Lord told me, he said, give this wisdom of greatness to my people. Your gentleness and condescension have made me great. What? I already know what needs to be said. I already like have this thing dialed in. I already know where the salt shaker is. I'm just going to grab it. It seems like the fastest way to a point is a straight line. I see greatness. I see the platform. I see whatever it is. And I think God would say, are you going to get greatness by the methodology of just shooting straight to it? Are you going to go and grasp it even though it's within your reach and you could have it? Or are you just going to go grab hold of it? I would suggest to you that God doesn't want us to have greatness in that way. Amen. You ever had to manipulate or control someone to grab hold? I have. I've done it so many times I don't even know how many times I've probably done it. I saw the outcome. I thought I saw the true picture. I'm going after it. In some way, there's no relational interchange or dialogue there. God, God models for us with Abraham what it means to condescend to a man. But Jesus, it says this in Philippians 2, not thinking it robbery to be equal with God, he made himself of no reputation, comes in the form and likeness of man. What does he do? It seems like a long way around path, 33 and a half years to save all of humanity when I could just save them because I was slain in the foundation of the earth. You hear it? Yes. He already knew. Now, I, I believe that Jesus didn't know. I believe he discovered along his way he finds out who he is to the Father in his relationship of this methodology. And so let me give you a practical tool from the Lord. Because, hey, some of the churches said, you get greatness by earning it. The other part of the church says, you're never going to be great. You might as well just live in your mire every day and wait till the Lord comes back. One is Arminian and one is Calvinistic. And God would suggest something else to you. He would say here that I am your protector, I am your shield. Why? Because the nature of your humanity is to advocate for yourself. The nature of your humanity and your flesh is to, to try to grab hold of something. I want you to go to zero, put your hands behind your back, Believe my promises. I'm making all things new. And in that way, I want you to make a movement. I want you to make a movement of condescension. I asked the Lord. I said, um, we can't see it. He said, right. I, but I'm going to uh, present my people with this. And I am presenting this to you all the time. Moses didn't see it until 40 years on the backside of the wilderness. Are you listening to me? It's right there in your face, condescension is. 
but pride will resist it every time because if you have a basis of understanding that you will earn or haven't earned enough, if you let that be your mode, you will never see your opportunity to condescend through meekness. And do you know what it says? The meek will inherit the earth. You want an inheritance? It's right here. This is why the great preachers, the ones who preached awakenings, they so attacked the gospel of earning. They would attack it in every way they could so that they could get God's people into this place because they knew that if God's people would get a hold of not being basing their relationship with him on what they haven't earned or what they could earn, and they could get them just still before him in his rest, they knew that the church would prevail and they would take the land. And that's why the great awakening preachers would attack anything that was based in earning your salvation. The Lord told me, you attack it too. You attack it with a fierceness. Because I don't want some cheap flower or some pretentious flower. I want one cut right out of the garden. Don't you? I don't want the old thing because I'm going to tell you, no matter how red you are or blue you are, it's still old. It's not that freshness and newness of life every day. Now, let's stand together. You hear? I hope that you can hear. I hope that your ears have been open this morning. I'm going to ask you to ask the Lord, would you grant me the wisdom to see where my mechanism of earning a relationship with you is or what I'm doing every day, that I don't want to have anything to do with what he's talking about, what God's word says. I don't want to earn my greatness. I want you to make me great. Yes, but teach me condescension and meekness. Yes, I have an inheritance. You know what the suffering is? I've learned this. I believe you, Lord, in the middle of everything telling me. It's not true. He's not going to take care of you. Yes, he is at the last minute. When I can't do it myself, when I can't earn it myself by my own ability or lack thereof, I can't bring what I need to to the table. I don't have enough of what I can bring to the table. Oh, I think I'm amazing. I bring everything to the table. No, stop it. Stop the dialogue and rest in him. A good heavenly father would come down and say, let me give you a deviation. It'll be an action of love towards your brother and sister, I guarantee you. Or to be something that he tells you to do. It won't make any sense and you'll deviate around. You'll condescend. You'll have the right to correct somebody, but you won't. You'll want somebody else to understand your point and you'll withhold your tongue. You'll be able to give a compliment without giving a rebuke on the back of it. Because he's my shield. And he's my salvation. You see it? And I know that at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. See, I'm convinced. I can't earn this. My eyes are beholding you, Lord, and only doing what I see my Father doing. And I'm not going to do anything else. And I recognize that it makes all things new. 
And therefore, when someone else gets it wrong, you know what I do? I don't have to look down at them. I don't have to say, when are you ever going to get your act together? Because you know why? Because he doesn't treat me that way. He doesn't say, when are you going to get your act together? You know, you don't give enough. You don't do enough. No, he says, it's his kindness that leads me to repentance. Now my eyes are beholding him. Metanoia. And I'm changed. Look up, you saints. Look to the heavens. Look to the everlasting doors. Look to the King of glory. Just look at him whom they pierced. Look at him who's already paid everything for you. Just look at the Lord and be free. And be free to love. Be free to give. Be free to serve. Be free to be full of joy. Be free to be happy. Be free because Christ came to set us free. So it's not that I have a right to my free will. It's his will to make me free. It started with him. It all comes from him. It comes from him. The graciousness of the Father who loves us and delights in us. Oh, I delight in you, says the Lord. Receive my love. Receive the gospel of the kingdom. Receive creativity. We think, oh man, that, that cannot be right. If I let go of that, it can't lead me to that outcome. But the Lord says, if you lose your life for His sake and the gospel, you will find your life. For His sake, don't do it for someone else's sake. That's humanism. Don't do it for some other message's sake. That's humanism. Do it for His sake and for the gospel. And you will find who you really are found in Him. receive his love. Just take a moment to receive from him.
shed But it was only your own Could pay the debt The perfect love was owed Lifting up to Paul's words to Timothy, his son in the Lord. However, God's solid foundation remains standing, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from evil. Now in a wealthy home, there's not only gold and silver vessels, but also ones made of wood and of clay. Some are for honorable use, but others are for ignoble use. So if someone cleanses himself of such behavior, he will be a vessel of honorable use. Set apart and useful for the master. Prepared what? For every good work. Made ready, one of gold, one refined like gold. This is the solid foundation of the Lord, that we would cry out to him, Lord, purify my heart and make me holy. Make me like you, Lord. This is your solid foundation. This is your seal. This is the thing you approve of. I'm seeking to be cleansed, but I must cleanse myself. I must go to him and say, Lord, cleanse me. 
make me pure. It's not something he just does in your justification. Now in your sanctification, I partner with you, Lord. Cleanse my heart. Purify me and take out everything that doesn't appeal to you. I know that the wisdom will come. That I know every good work will be all around me every moment of every time. I'll see when to make that deviation and condescension. I know when that condescension will lead to meekness. And I know that I am an inheritor of the Lord in the land of the living. I know that I am now. I know that these great and precious promises were reserved for me. And they were reserved in you. And I know that if I suffer with you, Lord, in this way, that I will receive your precious promises. And cleanse me with hyssop, Lord, and purify my whole frame, that I would look and smell and have the aroma and the fragrance of your glory. Oh, yes, Lord. His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may you experience peace. Amen. Bless you today. Yes, be 
my lamp is shining bright with oil to last the night. And this passion, it is a fire and it burns with pure desire. 